sub church. <clears throat> yeah, good to see you guys. Thanks for joining us on campus and online. Uh, again, we sent out that encouragement. Uh, if you come to 11 o'clock modern, but could be available at 9.30 modern, uh, that would help us out. As you can see, we are full, and this is happening every Sunday. We do have even folks out in overflow. Uh, so anyway, that, if you're available to do that, that's cool. Hey, something cool really happened today you may not be aware of. Worship was great, right? We're so, so thankful for our, our worship band and leading us. Uh, yes, 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 all right. I'm going to give a shout out to them. Uh, but because our worship band is so awesome, our own awesome creative arts pastor was able to sit down right here in front and worship with his wife, Blair, on a Sunday morning. That is so cool. If, 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 you're, if you're in ministry, you get that, uh, how rare that is. But because of the trust, because of the quality, uh, because of the excellence of our team, he could sit there and he didn't sweat. His leg wasn't bouncing. He, wasn't, he didn't seem nervous at all. So congratulations, that's cool to get you to see you guys worship together. Also, last week I mentioned to you that we are fostering South Burleson Baptist Church and talked a little bit about what that meant, but one of the things that we are asking, if you're a young family, that you would consider going over to South Burleson for 12 months to be a part of that congregation. Again, you'll just be on loan, right? We still own you. <laughs> Uh, but just to loan you out to kind of help that church, which is mainly senior adults, but surrounded by young families and kind of help uh, seed the congregation to reach young families. And if you're a young family, and that may not be on your radar, you may have just tuned me out right then when I said that, but I, I really want to ask you just to at least ask God, God, is this something you want us to do? Just ask that question. Trust him to tell you the answer. If it's no, cool, awesome. If it's yes, I, I pray that you'll listen and obey what he says, because this is a great opportunity to help a church that's in a strategic area uh, to help reach our community, and, it's, and they, we're partnering with them, and so that's really cool. Um, <clears throat> I brought today one of my high school yearbooks, North Mesquite Stallions. Any stallions in the house? Whoop, whoop. <laughs> okay. I was afraid of that. Um, you guys still do this? Do y'all do annuals, yearbooks, whatever you call them? Are they digital or are they? Mine was written on parchment paper uh, with pen and ink. Um, just teasing. I'm not that old, but the pages are kind of yellow, <laughs> to be honest. Um, so anyway, it's cool to go back. I was looking through this and seeing friends from high school that I only know on Facebook now that, you know, we were besties forever. Uh, teachers, administrators, had, coaches that had an influence on my life. Uh, to be able to, of course, it has all the games and all the events that we, clubs that I was a part of and all that stuff, which is cool. It's kind of cool to look back and be reminded of the people that had influence in those years, those crucial, pivotal, crazy years uh, that honestly none of us would want to relive. <laughs> right? Can I get an amen? Um, but the coolest part about these annuals, because remember you would get it, now, we'd always get it the year after it recorded, but we'd have a big yearbook party, and we'd go around and say, hey, sign my yearbook, sign my yearbook. Did you do that? I love to go back and read the things. You know, it's, it's the, the common stuff like don't ever change, and you'll go far. Um, you're the best-looking guy in our school. You're the, you're the best athlete that I've ever seen. Um, you're, like, the grooviest guy I know. You know, that... The usual kind of, everybody gets that stuff, right? 
<laughs> You're laughing. That hurts. But it's kind of cool to go back and see the, the, the prophecies that people prophesied over you that in no way came true. <laughs> you know, it's, life went a totally different direction. But it's just kind of fun to be reminded of the people that were influential in my life. As the Lord was developing me in those years for the call of ministry, uh, and so I think back of those lists of people that were influential. You, you guys have those lists. Uh, you have those in your yearbooks as well or whatever form they may be. But I, I bring that yearbook today because to me it kind of seems that's what Paul is doing in Romans chapter 16. He's thinking back of his ministry since he was converted to Christianity. He's thinking back about the people that were influential for him, that came along to support him, that prayed for him, that encouraged him, some that were in prison with him, some that supported him financially. And he kind of goes through this list of people that had significance in his life. Now, I know if you're like me, when you come across a list of names in the Bible, I usually just kind of right to the end. You know, we're reading the book, uh, the Bible together in one year, and we're kind of in that, sometimes you get that genealogy, and so-and-so begets so-and-so. And so you just kind of, unless you really want to know the history and the context, you just kind of run through those names. Well, I didn't want to do that. We could have skipped Romans 16, but it's significant because Paul is talking about some people specifically. He lists about 25 by name. But he also talks about a couple of categories because they all had influence in his life. It was actually a part that had kind of a negative influence in his life, and he addresses that issue a little bit. But he focuses on those who made a difference. This is kind of his maybe spiritual yearbook, if you will. So look at Romans chapter 16. Let's look at some of those names. We're not going to look at all of them, but they're all significant. Romans 16, look at the first five verses. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church in Centuria. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you. For she has been a benefactor of many people, including me. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Jesus Christ. They risk their lives for me. Not only, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend Epinetus, who is the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. And then he goes through some more names. So these, again, are names that are significant because we see that, that God brought these people into Paul's life and they were a great help to him. They were friends, they were encouragers, they were supporters. Uh, they, they ministered with Paul. And, and we see that Paul's ministry, if you know it, it took great courage that came from the Lord. And these people had courage that came alongside him because they were invested in him and his ministry to the same degree that he was in many occasions. And so he is grateful. He realizes that he was able in some part to persevere and endure all that he faced because he knew he always had a group of people at least praying for him if they weren't right there with him. And so I think that gave him the motivation and the courage to carry on. And I think that applies to us. We, hopefully you have that group around you as well that love you and cur- there for you when they can be, but even when they're not, you, you kind of sense their presence and their prayers. Now, it's interesting, he starts out with Phoebe. Phoebe refers to her as a deacon. Uh, the word diakonos means servant, deacon. It, it, we have official capacities in the church with elders, pastors, deacons, shepherds. Uh, so now she could have been a servant just because she had a servant heart, or she could have had an official position there in the church. Regardless of that, she was significant. 
She was significant to Paul, so significant he trusted her that he gave her this letter. Paul's in Corinth writing the letter to the Romans, and so he gives Phoebe the letter to go and take to the church in Rome, to the congregation there in Rome. And it was customary that when you were the deliverer, you're, you're the male person taking the, the letter, that you would read that to the congregation. So it's, it's possible that she actually read this letter to the church in Rome. But she was significant. She was a supporter of Paul. She was there with Paul. She ministered with Paul. And so he told them, look, when, you, when Phoebe gets there, you better treat her right. <laughs> In other words, he puts her in a place of honor, in a place of respect. Anything she needs, you're responsible to take care of this woman because she means a lot to me and she means a lot to the kingdom and she means a lot to the church. And you'll be blessed by her presence, so make sure she feels blessed by yours. He says she's a benefactor, so obviously she was a person of wealth. She had means. She supported him financially, the church financially. Uh, She was a dear friend and supporter, uh, and she could be counted on. Paul wanted to make that clear. Then he mentions Priscilla and Aquila. That's a couple that we're very familiar with. We, we read their names a lot in, in the New Testament and Acts in different places. Uh, so this was a ministry couple that Paul had connected with. They made, Paul was a tent maker. That was kind of his side hustle. And so Paul and Aquila and Priscilla made tents. That's kind of how they got to know each other and began to trust each other. But what's significant about this, this is a ministry couple. And if you're in ministry, if, you, if you're a person who's been called to the, the gospel ministry, you know that that is a calling for your family. I mean, specifically for you and the intent of what you're to do, but if you're married to a minister, you're in ministry. <laughs> if you're the children of a minister, you are in ministry. Maybe not in the same capacity, uh, the same roles, but you're in ministry. So Aquila and Priscilla were that ministry couple. This, this, this couple really inspires Robin and myself as we're in ministry because we are a team. We are one. God made us one through marriage. We are one in ministry. Now, we both minister to the same level, obviously different roles, different capacities. Um, she doesn't get paid for it. <laughs> I do, praise God. But we, we minister together. So I can't imagine doing ministry without Robin. I truly believe that God called her to be a pastor's wife. I'm just glad he chose me to be that pastor. (laughs) And so we minister together. We talk about the church. We pray about the church. We think about the church. Sometimes just casual conversations, we're talking about you. Because frankly, you drive us bananas. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. But that's our heart. That's our desire. So we're in this together. Our kids, when they were home, they're in this, right? We all know preacher's kids, don't we? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it it really is, it affects the whole family. Don't be naive to think it's just for the one person. We're all involved. And and these guys have inspired us too because one of the things you'll notice about Aquila and Priscilla is their gift of hospitality. They opened their home. A church met in their home. They had groups that would meet in their home. Their home was designed for it to be a place of encouragement, to be a place of learning, to be a place where people could gather and be lifted up and be supported and be encouraged. That was an inspiration. Rob and I, we, we have the blessing, we got to build our own house this time. We've never done that before. And the design that we laid out was one that we can have groups over. We want it to be a flow, right? It's got to have a flow so we can have groups and ministry and stuff happening in our house. Because we know that our house is a resource that God has given us for his glory. It's not our house. It really belongs to him. And so we wanted to be able to use that for a resource to have groups over and be a ministry point for the church and for the kingdom. So we learned a lot from these guys, and they inspired us in what they do. And then Paul says, they even risked their lives for me, for my ministry, for the kingdom. 
So that's, you know, as Rob and I talk about the kind of ministry couple we want to be, that's, that's what we want to be, to be willing to risk it all for the, the kingdom of God. So uh, we do that together. So I just want to kind of take a little, little side road here for just a minute because one of the things that you'll notice if you read through these names, these 25 specific in these groups, there are one, one-third of these names that Paul lists are women. So I want to talk about the role of women in the kingdom, in the church, for just a minute. I mean, why not? We've talked about dancing and drinking. Why not? Let's just hit this one too, right? <laughs> it always kind of goes quiet when you, when you say that. So you have Phoebe there. You have Aquila and Priscilla, right? And so throughout Scripture, you see that women play a significant role in the kingdom and in the church. Now, for some denominations, this is, you know, they've already kind of settled that. For Baptists, it's still controversial. It's still debate, you know, some whatever. Two different camps on that. But you can't deny the significance. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a minute. I mean, two books in the Old Testament are dedicated to the stories of women. Esther and Ruth played a significant part in God's plan for Israel, for his chosen people. Significant roles. There are three women prophetesses in the Old Testament. We have Miriam, Aaron's sister. They're in Exodus chapter 15, 20. I don't have these verses up, but uh, you can write them down if you want. There's Deborah. She was a judge who actually led Israel. Judges 4, 4, we have her story. She actually led Israel for a time. There's Huldah, terrible name, <laughs> uh, but a prophetess there in 2 Kings 22, 14. In the Old Testament, we have women who took Nazarite vows. A Nazarite vow, Nazarite was a consecration vow. It was to be set apart for ministry. If you remember, the Nazarite was not supposed to cut their hair, not supposed to touch anything clean, not supposed to drink of wine. So it was a setting apart. So we have women who did that in the Old Testament who served in the temple under this ministry. Joel chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, we're talking about the future, talking about prophecy. Uh, the Bible says in Joel, your sons and daughters will prophesy. Then we go to the New Testament. We have in the book of Luke, we have Mary, the mother of Jesus. She's not a God. She's not a saint. She's not someone we worship, but she's a person of significance. She gave birth to the Savior. You have Anna, the prophet that Mary and Joseph ran into. You have women who followed Jesus like Tabitha in Acts chapter 9, Lydia in Acts chapter 16, the maker of fine purple, which sounds cool. You have Philip's four daughters who prophesied there in Acts chapter 21. Now, the truth is that Paul gets a bad rap, but Paul's many times labeled as anti-woman because of six verses in 1 Corinthians and in Timothy. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's a fair accusation because if you look at other verses of Paul, the writings of Paul, he elevates the role of women. In fact, you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, when a woman prays or prophesies, she should cover her head. So he acknowledges and recognizes these roles of women. He sees them as significant. Jesus did the same thing with the Samaritan woman. And the woman caught in adultery. He elevated. When all of, most of the culture, not so much in Judaism, but most of the culture around, put women as a position of property, God, Jesus, and Paul, if you study Paul, actually elevate the role of women and the position of women. Women are significant in the church, in the kingdom of God. So that leads us to the big question, doesn't it? Does God call women to preach? Does God call women to be senior lead pastors of churches? Well, I want to be true to the text here, and this is not what Paul's talking about. So we'll talk about that later in another sermon. 
Now, I hope you know by now I'm not chicken. I'm not afraid. We've already talked about some pretty serious issues through the book of Romans. But again, I want to stay true to the text. That's not what Paul's dealing with. That's not his focus in these moments in listing these people that have been significant. But his point is really, look, the kingdom of God is very diverse. He lists men and women, Gentiles and Jews, slaves and free, all fit into these categories and by name for some of them into Paul's ministry, basically saying, all these people have been significant to me. You can't label people based on what they look like on the outside. Because the Bible says that in Christ, there is neither male nor female, Gentile or Jew, slave or free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. I believe that's the point he's making by listing all these names because they're so diverse, yet all of them used, all of them significant in the kingdom of God and what God was wanting to do. So three themes, if you want to kind of break this list into three themes, first of all, their memories. Epinetus, he's remembering, was the first convert in Asia. Now, Paul wanted to get to Rome. He had that in his heart. He tried three times before he was able to get to Rome. He spent time in a prison, probably not the way he wanted to get into Rome, but God provided for him. But here's the first person that was converted in Asia. How cool is that? The first one. It's kind of the gateway to the gospel being spread in all of Asia. He remembers him. In in verse 7, he's talking about people that were in prison with him. Now, you have to remember where Paul came from. He persecuted the church. The church was afraid of Paul until he was converted on the road to Damascus. That's when he became a Christ follower, before he was trying to stamp out the church. And now these people who were afraid of Paul at one time, now they're in prison with him, willing to suffer and even die for the ministry. (laughs) Quite a transformation. And he expresses his gratitude for them. In verse 13, Paul talks about Rufus. You know who Rufus is? You remember uh, Simon of Cyrene, Jesus carrying his cross to Golgotha, and one of the soldiers reaches out to this guy named Simon of Cyrene and says, hey, you carry the cross. Simon's from, Cyrene's in Africa. He was a black man that the soldier said, you carry the cross for this Jesus. Not what he intended to do. He was just there to watch, but now he becomes a part of the gospel story. And, And I believe it's in Mark where Mark records for us that because of this experience, Simon became a Christ follower. This is his son, Rufus that's now supporting Paul's ministry. How cool is that? I don't know how far many generations beyond that, but this, at least to this level, his family believed and Paul shows gratitude. So he has the memories of things in the past ministry and those who have been there for him. Uh, he also has the thought of hard work in humble places because you know Paul's story. I mean, from a human standpoint, before Paul came to Christ, his life was pretty good. I mean, he was a religious ruler. He was uh, respected. He was even feared by some. And then he came to Jesus, and Jesus wrecked his life. <laughs> he was shipwrecked. He was stoned. He was thrown in prison. He was accused. He was beaten. He was run out of town, all for the sake of the gospel. And so he's remembering all those times that he experienced where he was mistreated, but what allowed him to carry on was knowing there were people there that supported him and encouraged him and, and, and prayed for him. And so he's grateful, and he mentions them by name. And then there's those who were together with him in Christ. Talks about those, verse 14. And basically, all these people that he lists here by name, they, they all did this because of Christ. 
Even as he writes their names, he's drawing our attention back to Jesus. All this was possible because of Jesus. Jesus did this, the power, the miracles, the experience, all that was reflective of Jesus. Paul's intent always through the whole book of Romans is to push us back to Jesus, to make sure we know that he gets the glory for all that's happened. Paul's never arrogant. He's never prideful, though he had a right to be from a human standpoint, but he's always desiring to point us back to Jesus. Now, when you consider your life, maybe in comparison to Paul, we all have Christian friends. We're a part of a community, a community of faith. And I don't know about you, but one of the reasons I think that I've been able to handle this whole worldwide pandemic is because I know there's a community of faith that I belong to. And I know that in a moment of crisis, a moment of weakness, a moment of fear, I can reach out and people won't judge me or condemn me. They'll actually help me. That's what church is supposed to be. I hope we can all say that. I know we can't all say that. I know we, many have been hurt and burned by church people. And that's sad. I know that breaks the heart of the Father, and that's not right. But I hope even in that, you found a group that you can trust and you can reach out to, and they won't judge and condemn. They'll just listen and be present. Because there's really no other group on this planet that can do what a church community, a faith community can do. We all belong to clubs and different organizations, but none of those can reach into our soul. And there are good causes and do things and do great things to help people in need and whatever, but there's nothing like God's church that can penetrate our soul. Sometimes our soul is confused, our soul is hurt, our soul is lost and alone. Isn't it good to know that we hopefully have a list like Paul in the community of faith? A list that we can cry together and laugh together, rejoice with each other and mourn with each other and support one another without even knowing the details. And even if we don't, do know the details, we don't condemn and judge because of it. God wired us to need that in our life, and that's why he's provided people in our life, which is good, right? Aren't you grateful? So look at verse 17, chapter 16. Paul gives great honor, continues to give great honor, but he also gives a warning. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way they are contrary, that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you, but I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. So Paul, and if, if we were to read on into verse 22, he continues to list some people. Verse 22, he lists Tertius, and eventually he lists Cordus, two men in his life that had influence. And what's interesting about these two is those are slave names. Those are numbers. In Latin, Tertius is the number three, Cordius is the number four. So here are two men. They didn't even have names. They were numbers. They were slaves. But if you read that next verse in 22, Tertius is the one who is recording. Paul is older. He's probably not able to see real well. So Tertius is recording as Paul dictates the book of Romans. And then he says to this guy who is a slave who has the name, the number three, hey, why don't you write in this section? <laughs> what you think about that is really amazing. 
All this inspired by God, but he uses Tertius in this moment to give input into what he's been writing. A slave by the number three gets to be a part, one of only two that are writing in this, one of the most incredible books in all of Scripture. Why? Again, throughout this, throughout the book of Romans, Paul is pointing to the importance of unity. We are diverse, but yet we are unified. He's not talking about uniformity. He's not talking about thinking alike, looking alike, talking alike. Right? So th- there, there are things that can divide us if we allow them, but he's talking about unity. You go back to that question I asked earlier, should women preach or not? Well, there are two schools of thought on that. There's the yes school and there's the no school, right? And they both have football teams and they both desire to defeat the other, to defeat the other one. But it can be divisive. But again, Paul's thread throughout this whole book is don't let things divide you. Even if you don't always agree on certain things, don't let this be a division. And by mentioning these two slave names, he takes that to the most base level of everyone who follows Jesus is significant in the kingdom of God. That means you. Do you realize today you are a significant part of the eternal story? That God has called you to himself and you have a part to play? You have a role designated, designed by God that he's equipped you for. And you will not feel fulfilled until you say yes to that call. Whether it's full-time ministry or not, doesn't have to be. But God has called you to be a leader, to be an influencer. That's a great question, right? Are you on somebody's list? I just thought, of, that's, man. Should have put that on the slide. That would have been good. That's a great question, isn't it? Do you want to be on somebody's list? Would you want to have been on Paul's list? The good list, not the naughty list. I hope you're on somebody's list. I want to be on somebody's list. I want to be on a lot of lists. But then in verse 17, he talks about Watch out for those who would cause division and put obstacles. Paul is wise. He's seen this, right? Anytime this group, anytime a church begins to grow, starts to do ministry, the community of faith is growing, the gospel is being spread, just be ready. There are going to be leeches who latch on. We see that today when a church starts to grow or it's new or it's shiny, it's, everything's new or this stuff's happening. A lot of people just come to latch on. I'm going to go to that church because I see all this going on. And it, it, a lot of times it's not for the right reasons. It's not for the glory of God. It's for their own appetite. Hey, I just want to be a part of that because it's new and shiny. Everybody's talking about that. So I want to be there. And sometimes God calls people to that, but I think a lot of times people just want to be a part of something new and shiny to feed their own appetite, not really concerned about the glory of God. And that's what Paul is warning against. But what's interesting, he's not warning against outside groups. He's warning against those who are among us. Christ followers, God believers. That's true in our day. We see it time and time again. Whenever God gets a hold of a congregation, a group of people, a faith community, and starts to use them in a powerful way, and they start to grow and start to do significant ministry, the enemy pays attention, and he wants to divide and conquer. We've seen too many, remember church splits? <laughs> that's just, that should be an oxymoron, right? 
but he's masterful at it. He's always looking for an inside man or an inside woman to cause division. A lot of times it's in leadership or somewhere among the congregation, those who are influencers. Because in that way, he can stop what God is doing by division, by obstacles. And maybe sometimes they're well-intended people, but They're there to defend the old. And one of the things we've learned through COVID-19, if, if your church is not ready to adapt, you're in big trouble. If your focus is to, to keep things the way they were, that's going to cause a lot of issues. Again, estimated that 1,000 churches, Baptist churches in Texas, will close their doors because of COVID-19. I think there's probably a section of that because they just weren't ready and they're not willing to adjust to what's going on. It's sad, but it's true. We've seen that time and time again. Last year, our staff read through this book, kind of brought my library today. Uh, it's called Canoeing the Mountains. It's a great book on leadership, great book on transition. It uses the story of Lewis and Clark to give guidelines and principles of leading through transformation and change, especially in a church context. These are written by ministers. But if you know the story of Lewis and Clark, they were set out to map the, basically the western side of the country uh, through rivers, which worked fine. And they were canoe people. They were boat people. They knew all about that. But all of a sudden, they hit the Rockies. And those who used canoes had to become mountain climbers. And the premise of this book is adapt or die. Churches have to change. We don't change the message. We change the method. We have to change. I know that's a dirty word, right? I don't know that people are so afraid of change. They just don't like to be surprised by it. But you have to realize that change is inevitable. But then there are those. In this book, he, he refers to them as the saboteurs that are already in a church. And their goal is to protect the status quo. They'll do anything to protect the status quo rather than considering transformation and change, they want to fight to keep the status quo because, hey, it was good for Paul and Silas, so it's good enough for me. Sorry, wrong crowd. <laughs> it's like, uh, who? Yeah, that's an old song. Go back and YouTube it. There's some of them in town, hey, it was, it was good for me 50 years ago. It's got to be good enough now. And, and those churches crumble and die and fade away. But there's that those who protect the status quo. And so in this book, the author mentions four things when it comes to saboteurs. First of all, expect sabotage. When transition and change is happening, God is doing some things, expect sabotage. Don't be surprised by it. It's going to happen. It's the natural attack of the enemy. Embrace it as normal. In fact, maybe even celebrate it because it means God's doing something. Things are happening and bigger things are ahead. Don't take it personally because it's just part of the enemy's attack. Give them a little attention, but then focus your attention on the emotionally strong, those who get it. That's what Paul's doing here. If you look, the majority of this letter are people who get it. He does allude to those that are saboteurs briefly, but again, he doesn't give them a lot of attention because if you give the drainers a lot of attention, they will drain you completely. But this list, the bulk of this list are the ones that get it. They were there with him through hell or high water. And they were supportive of him. And then he closes out this letter with his own doxology. Look at verse 25. This is awesome. What a great way to end a letter. 
Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ, in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen and amen. Isn't that cool? Don't you wish you could end your letters like that? (laughs) Again, at the very end, he brings us back to Jesus. That's what he's been doing through the whole time. My hope and my prayer for First Burleson is that we can echo the words of Paul, that our goal will always be to God alone be the glory. Can I get an amen on that one? That everything we do, everything we're about, pursuing Christ and loving people, all of it is focused that God will get the glory. We're not here to brand First Baptist Burleson. We're not here to market our church. We are here to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to promote the name that is truly greater than any other name. It is above all name. It is the only name that rescues us from our sin. This is Paul's conclusion. And if we are wise, we'll make sure that we're faithful to give God the glory. So here's the challenge I have for you. Because I hope that as you listen to Paul's list, that you reflected on some people in your own life, by name, by faces, that have been significant in your walk with Christ. Maybe they mentored you or discipled you. Maybe they shared Christ with you. Maybe they prayed for you during a difficult time. Maybe they walked alongside you in silence but in presence. People that have been there, God has placed those people in those spots in your life for a purpose, to help you continue to fulfill God's will in your life. That's how awesome God is. That's how he reminds us sometimes in big ways, sometimes in small ways, hey, you don't have to do this faith journey on your own. I provide people to help you. You have a community of faith that will come around you and love you and support you. And those who want to sabotage that and those who want to break that down, we'll we'll remove those. God will protect us from that if we're wise and alert. If those people came to your name, to your mind, I want to encourage you to send them a note over the next two or three days. Text, email, homing pigeon, snail mail, whatever. Just call them up. Hey, you remember that time in my life when you said this? You remember that time when I was afraid and I was confused and I felt all alone and you just, you just came alongside me and just sat there in silence with me? I just want to say thank you. I just want to say thank you because I know that I can always count on you. If you have people like that in your life, give thanks. And then show them how grateful you are. Let's pray. God, you're awesome. We are grateful for your love. We're grateful for your patience. We're grateful for your salvation. And we are grateful for the people that you put in our lives that give us courage. That word encourage means to give courage, to bolster courage, to promote courage in each other's lives. And God, I I pray 
as we consider our own lives, we're assured that we're on somebody's list. May we be that kind of people. We know we need lists of our own. But may we be committed to being on others' lists as well. Thank you for the courage that you give us to carry out the call in our lives that you've given us. And we're grateful that you bring people alongside so we don't have to do this alone. I would pray today, Father, that if there's someone watching or here or watch this recorded later, someone who doesn't know you, has never asked Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their lives, that through hearing your word, they would make that commitment. That they would invite Jesus to be the leader and forgiver of their lives, turning from sin in their own way to follow Jesus in his way. And God, if you've called us to be a community of faith, may we never shrink back from the battle that is ahead. Because honestly, God, the days before us are concerning. We have nothing to fear, but we need to be ready. We need to be aware. And you've called us to be an army, never to shrink back and retreat, but to run forward, pursuing your call, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In each of our lives, we claim to be a follower of Christ. Use your church here to do God-sized things. In Jesus' name, amen.